We're going to read in Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. I invite you to um, turn there in just a moment. I was thinking earlier this week about changes in life, changes in the routine of life. I was thinking about sometimes changes can be kind of stressful in our lives. And even a rather joyous occasion like planning for a wedding or planning for the arrival of a newborn, they can have their stressful moments as well. And even more stressful can be loss of employment, loss of health, imminent divorce, or even losing a loved one. These are all very stressful situations in life. Now, when a person meets Jesus Christ face-to-face and puts their trust and their faith in him, it can be the most joyous occasion of their life, and it truly is. But, you know, conversion to Christ can also bring up certain elements of stress. I mean, think about it this way. An individual can be going about a 1,000 miles an hour in one direction, and then they meet Jesus, their life has changed, Jesus gives them a new identity, and now they're going a completely different direction. Just think about the Apostle Paul and how his life worked out that way. Now, when that happens, your, your actions, the way that you live, that might not all change right away instantaneously. So there's a certain amount of stress for moving from being an unbeliever to a believer as you wait and partner with God in having your life match up with this new identity in Christ. And in Ephesians, Paul is reminding his readers of this exact fact. He's saying, you are no longer who you used to be. So they shouldn't act like their former selves. See, the Ephesian believers came from a Gentile. They're Gentiles. They came from a pagan background, non-believing background. And Paul is reminding them to live now in light of their new faith in Christ. So I invite you to go ahead and stand up. We're going to read from Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. It's page 732 and following in the Red Bible. If you need a Bible, just pop up your hand and Usher will take care of that for you. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, 
forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Go ahead and please be seated. Last week we looked at unity in the body of Christ, all using our gifts to build up the body, to have a healthy family. This week we're going to look at what is it practically, how do we, how do, we do that? How do we live in this, in this new nature that Jesus has given us? Today's passage opens up with, with verse 17 saying, With the Lord's authority I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Hopelessly confused. Other translations put it this way. They're living in the futility of their minds or thinking. So their, their thinking is futile. So while Paul was writing to Gentiles, they're now followers of Jesus. And they needed to abandon their former way of life. And this was their, their former way of life, thinking in futile ways. It was, it was something needed, they needed to change. They needed to come into an, uh, an understanding of their identity in Jesus. And I think for some of us, we've, we came to Christ maybe at a young age. We're raised in a, in a family committed to Jesus Christ. And there maybe wasn't such a sharp break in this is how we were before and this is how we are now. We've been raised that way. We've made a personal confession ourselves, but we were raised in that kind of atmosphere. For others of us, it was pretty drastic. It was like Paul. It was like some of these Ephesian uh, believers. And there was a really sharp break in this is how I used to think, this is how I used to act, and now I'm in, in Christ, and now this is how I live my life. Uh, Romans also talks about this, this futile way of thinking. In chapter 1 and verse 21, it says this, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. So Romans says this, says that people suppress the truth by their wickedness. And even looking around up at the sky, at the stars, people innately know that God exists. And I think we can all attest to this. We know that God exists just by looking around us. But people refuse to worship Him because their, their mind is darkened, because their thinking is futile. You know, it's interesting, even indig- a lot of indigenous peoples have come to faith in Christ through mission work. And because the seed was already planted before people came with the good news of Jesus Christ, they could just look up into the sky and they knew that God was there. They knew that there was a God. And this was formerly the Ephesian believers as well. As, as non-believers, as pagans, in Ephesus, not a ton of Christians at the time, they've got this temple. got a picture of it. It's the Temple of Artemis, also known as Diana. On the left is the way it used to be. Beautiful marble structure. In the middle of that was a statue of the supposed goddess Artemis or Diana. And now on the right you see... You see the ruins. But this was a cultural hub. This was a happening place in Ephesus. Um, it, was, it was their expression of how they understood God to be. With their darkened minds being alienated from God, this is what they decided God was like. And this, this temple was actually a pretty horrible place. They had human sacrifices there from time to time. They had a bunch of temple religious personnel, including eunuchs, young virgins, and temple prostitutes. And then every year, there was a month-long carnival of, of debauchery, basically, at this location. So this is the culture that these people in, in Ephesians are coming out of. 
And I couldn't help but think, yeah, that's horrible. Uh, we're so much more advanced and civilized and so much more in tune with God. But then you think about, you know, there's, there's entire cities all over the world dedicated to the same type of activities, perhaps not human sacrifices, but all sorts of debauchery. I mean, we can go to Vegas and participate in all sorts of things like that. Um, and I don't want to be too hard on Las Vegas. I met a church planter a couple weeks ago from Las Vegas, and there's amazing things happening there as the good news goes forth into those challenging and dark places. But this is just to give you an idea of the cultural context of what Paul's dealing with here. People were participating in this month-long carnival of debauchery, and now they've accepted Christ. They're a new person, and yet they've got some issues to work on. So apart from Christ, the Ephesians were hopeless. Apart from Christ, we are hopeless. Now point number one in your outline. Apart from Christ, our hearts are hopelessly inclined toward many evils. We're hopelessly inclined toward many evils. Ephesians 2.3 also puts it this way. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our, own, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So when God looks at us before Christ, when we're not in Christ, when he looks at us and he looks at the human heart, this is what he sees. He sees a heart that's inclined toward many different evils, many different evils. And, you know, it's interesting. This isn't our predominant cultural view of the heart and how it works today. I don't know. You probably didn't go, but Oprah had a speaking tour recently. If you went to the Oprah speaking tour, you probably didn't get this message of, of the state of the human heart. If you went to a Tony Robbins conference, you probably didn't get this message of the state of the human heart. And yet, this is what Scripture says is our state apart from Christ. So self-help strategies, they can only get you so far. You know, our, our, our external self-cleanup operations, they only last for a while. It's not a sustainable solution to the issue of our heart, of where our heart is apart from Christ. It's by being in Christ that we can have a new nature and live in that new nature by the power of the Spirit's leading in our life. If you look at verses 17 and following, there's a, a host of evils that the heart is inclined to experience. Darkened minds, closed-minded, in other words, ignorance, hardened hearts, having no sense of shame, living for lustful pleasure, eagerly practicing impurity. And all of this results, you know, it can be progressive, but all of this results in just being further alienated from the life that God so longs to give us in His Son, Jesus Christ, as we have faith in Him. So people are, they're not aware that they're alienated because these things just take them over little bit by little bit and they go deeper and deeper into these evils that our hearts are inclined towards apart from Christ. But I want you to think for a second, when's the last time you shared in some capacity your faith in Jesus with somebody? It could be a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, a friend. It could have happened by you specifically thinking, okay, I'm going to share the good news today. It could have been something more over coffee. They asked you a question, why you are the way that you are. You know, there's lots of ways to share our faith. Um, but have you realized that sometimes when you're sharing and people aren't receptive to it, it's not so much that they have this intellectual issue with it. It's more that their will is just opposed to letting God in, to seeing God for who he is. It's a, it's a, self, it's a selfish thing. It's a will. 
Uh, I had a friend a while back. He was a kind of a he was an atheist and he was happy about it. And he talked about it all the time. And he loved to talk about all the latest studies or the latest books. And so what I what I thought about with him was, look, this guy loves to talk about these things and read about them. Why don't I just start reading what he's reading? Maybe I can connect with him that way. And so I did that. He'd give me a new you know a book on the new the newest atheism. Uh, belief that was coming out and how that worked. And then that kind of opened the door where I could give him a book about an apologetics book or something more casual about why God is true. Even something like this new study coming up, Reason for God by Tim Keller is a great book for people struggling with doubts about the faith, whether they grew up in the faith and they didn't choose Jesus or they just have no experience with Jesus in the church. It's a great opportunity. But, But I found in those discussions with my friend it wasn't so much that he didn't understand what I was trying to communicate. He just had no use for it. His, his will was closed to it. He, was, he had the veil covering. He was darkened to it. Now, he wasn't some horrible person where I could point to this list and say every one of these things applied to him in the fullest measure. No, not at all. But as you consistently turn away from God and resist the work of his spirit drawing you to Jesus, the end result is a life alienated from God. Um, it's interesting, I was thinking about marriage the other day, and with these evils that our hearts are you know, inclined toward, marriage can be a tough relationship. I read, according to um, the U.S. Census Bureau, that 80% of divorces are related to irreconcilable differences. In other words, people just can't, they can't get along. They can't fit together their views, their way of living, what it, they have irreconcilable differences. Now, I was thinking about that, and, you know, Christians are not immune to issues such as divorce, but if we could come to a place where we're not thinking about even marriage to the eyes of compatibility, because really, none of us are really compatible with anybody. Our nature is inclined toward these things apart from Christ. But if we can think about it in terms of where am I at? Have I, am I walking with Jesus and if I am, am I walking in my new identity? Am I cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in my life? That's going to make you compatible with your spouse, or even if we're not talking about marriage, with your coworker, with your friends. It's not so much that we have to find people we're compatible with. It's where are you? Are you in Christ? And if so, is the Holy Spirit cultivating the fruit of the Spirit in your life so that you can be compatible with people that you might think are, are kind of difficult? So it's, it's interesting to think about this concept of us being inclined toward evil, but at the same time, if we're Christians, this is not us. And that's where we're going next. There is an escape from this hopelessness, from this futility of the mind. And this is it right here. The key is right here in verse 21. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. You've heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth that comes from him. This phrase translated heard about Jesus is literally heard him. This refers to an individual hearing the call to salvation and then responding with saving faith. So there's an escape because we know Jesus, because we're his follower. We put our trust in him. We have eternal life and we have a new nature. We have escaped from this hopelessness because we hear the voice of Jesus and we're being taught by him. John 27 says, 1027 says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know the voice of Jesus. You know it as you read the scripture. 
You know it as the Spirit speaks to you. You know it as people, as God speaks to you through other Christians using their gifts. We know Jesus' voice, and we have an escape from this. So Paul's saying, look, you didn't just hear about Jesus, people of Ephesus, believers in Ephesus. You heard him. You accepted him. You put your faith in Jesus. And now, because of this, you can do something about it. Verses, four, verses uh, 22 and following says that we're to throw off or take off our old sinful nature and our former way of life and instead let the Spirit renew our minds and put on our new nature. And our new nature is created by, to be like God, righteous and holy. Now here's the thing. The key about this new nature is that it's, it's that God has created this new nature. This isn't something that we just drum up on our own power. When you put your faith in Christ... You exchanged your old nature for your new nature. You have an identity in Jesus. But now, as Paul is saying, it's your job to partner with the work of God, with the work of the Spirit, and walk in your new nature. So throw off this old nature and instead put on the new one. So this is not legalistic, moral self-improvement I'm trying to talk about this morning. This is walking in our identity in Jesus Christ. This is walking in our nature through the power that Jesus has given us. And as a Christian, it's not like these are two equal, opposite forces. It's not like, okay, on this side of the shoulder is the devil and his forces, and on this side is God through his spirit and the help that he gives us. No, no, it's over. If you're in Christ, it is overwhelmingly in favor of, of God. God has taken care of this. He has taken away your old nature and given you a new one. That's, that's the reality Sometimes when we have our new nature, it's, we're just completely different than we were before. Think about it this way. Have you ever gone to like a 20-year high school reunion or anything? My, uh, I think my 20-year high school reunion is coming up in a few years. I got an, a Facebook invite to go to this, this page and join the planning committee and all this so that I can you know, travel 3,500 miles back to Saskatchewan and go to, my, go to my high school reunion. But it's already getting interesting. You know, as people... As people join that page and get excited about this reunion, you know, we're connecting with people we haven't talked about in a long time. And I'm looking at these people, I'm like, wait a minute, that person is like the lead district attorney now? What? In high school, that person was a bit of a goofball or whatever, you know. And so as you, or conversely, you know, the captain of the football team, who was the most popular person in high school, fast forward 20 years, his life might be a bit of a train wreck. So it's interesting, this, this drastic change you can see as you do something like even go to a high school reunion. Now, with our faith in Christ and our, and our identity, it can be like that too. If you've come from a harsh past, your new identity is completely different. And now our part is to partner with Jesus and walking in that identity. Transformation begins in the mind and it results in renewed behavior. When I was in college... I was studying, in my undergrad, I was studying business admin. Took a bunch of classes, accounting, finance, all these different things. And it was really nice sometimes just to have a break from that, especially if it was like, you know, accounting at 7.50 a.m. And then finance, and then whatever. It was nice to take an elective once in a while. So I got to take some interesting classes like uh, history of First Nations and Indigenous Peoples and spirituality of the desert fathers, you know, things that were completely unrelated to business admin, but it just, it was a nice break, and it was, it opened up my mind, it was just a nice option. 
Well, our new, walking in our new nature, taking off our old nature and putting on our new nature, that's not an elective for a Christian. That's not an, it's not like it's an option. It's, we're, we're being told, this is what you need to do. You're in Christ, so you need to walk in this new nature. Put off the old person or the, or the old nature and put on the new one. Some translations talk about clothing. It's like Jesus is saying, change your clothes. At the core of who you are, it's a new person, but you need to change your clothes. You need to take off these old clothes, stop being like this, and you need to, by my power, walk and live this way. So verse 25 and following helps us to understand a little bit of this old nature versus the new nature. Verse 25 and following says this, So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbor the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't let sin, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. So we can see here that one way of putting off the old nature is by putting off bad practices and behaviors that belong to the old nature, such as lying and letting anger control you. Little aside here, I have permission to share this. My wife, Jen, is home this morning with uh, two of our three girls are actually ill with fevers and coughs and things like that. But when I was reading uh, this passage about don't sin by letting anger control you, I thought back to uh, our first couple years of marriage, and I made the mistake one time of quoting this verse to my wife late at, late at night as we were having, you know, we were having kind of a minor disagreement. But, you know, my, my human nature is, hey, I want to face this, this conflict head on, apologize, ask for forgiveness, it's, it's move on. And sometimes, if you've ever taken a study of, generally speaking, men and women, sometimes women need a little bit more time to kind of process the situation or, or um, you know, just be ready to, to move on from whatever, whatever's going on, right? So, words to the wise for young married couples, or you've only been married for a year or two, don't quote this verse to your wife at, like, say, 11 p.m., and then thinking it's going to help you follow that verse. It's, not, it's probably not going to work out too well. But, um, so I don't do that anymore. I'm, I'm wiser than that. Um, Colossians 8 and 9 also gives us some insight into the old nature. It says this, But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Some other translations, such as the ESV, says this, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So the key here is that the old self isn't simply all these sinful behaviors, because it says the old self with its sinful practices, or its, its practices. So we can see here that the old nature is more than just practices. The old nature is really a combination of our attitudes, our emotions, and our behaviors. And so is the new nature. And that's why we need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit as we're followers of Jesus, so that we can have our emotions uh, impacted, have our attitudes impacted, and then ultimately have our behavior impacted by walking uh, with the Holy Spirit. Point number three is this. Living in our new nature is a spirit-empowered choice, and it's a supernatural work of grace. It's a choice, and it's a work of God's sovereign grace. Verses 25 to 29 talk about turning away from lying, anger, stealing, foul, and abusive language. See, our lives as Christians can be characterized by any of those, but they shouldn't be if we're putting on our new nature, if we're walking by the Spirit. 
It's a spirit and power choice because we have to choose to put on this new nature. However, the spirit empowers us. It's a supernatural work of grace because God's involved. The Holy Spirit's involved. Ephesians 2.10, which we covered a few weeks ago, says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. So when you put your faith in Christ, God's got these amazing things for you to walk in, and that's going to happen as you choose to walk in your new nature. So it's a both end. It's a choice, and God's going to empower you to do it. Point number four, the key to living in our new nature is keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. It's keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you think often about how the Spirit works in your life, but I think sometimes we've maybe neglected the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity, or we just don't think about Him often enough. Or we've come to just kind of maybe have incorrect views of the Spirit. Sometimes we kind of treat the Spirit like a force, and that's all He is, like a force. A lot of kind of, kind of Christian offshoot groups that are not orthodox and historic in their belief in theology, they, be, they, they treat the Holy Spirit as just a force. But as Christians, we're not like that. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father and God the Son. And as a person... He's very active in our lives as a follower of Jesus. And I'd like you to think about how, how he works. Does he, does he kind of give you these gentle nudges? He's usually not very forceful. You have to be in tune with the Spirit to feel those nudges, to, to sense his leading in an area. So as we try to live in this new nature, it's about being in tune and keeping in step with the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says this, And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So He's identified us, and He's working with and for us, guiding us, bringing us along and putting on this this new nature. And when we don't, you know, He's gentle, so we can push off the Holy Spirit, we can choose to walk in disobedience and in sin. When we do that, that brings sorrow to God the Spirit. grieves him. So we have a choice and we want to be empowered. Um, came across an interesting quote by J.I. Packer, theologian, previously up at Regent College and Seminary up in Vancouver, B.C. He says this about um, being in tune with God and, and turning away from our sin. He's about repentance. He says, repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. So as we're in touch with God's presence, the Spirit in our lives, we can do this. We can turn from our sin when He nudges us. And we can give as much as we know of ourselves to as much as we know of God. And the more we walk in our identity, the more we're going to come to a realization of who God is and how He works and how we can partner with Him and what He's doing in this world. So that our capacity basically to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus can increase even as we become more obedient and more in tune with the Spirit. So it's exciting. It's exciting that God wants to partner with us. He wants to empower us to do this. This is not a self-help operation. This is walking by the Spirit, being empowered by the Spirit. Point number five, empowered to turn away from our former ways, we allow the Spirit to reflect Christ in and through us. 
we allow Jesus by the Spirit to make a difference in our lives. Talking about repentance, repentance is simply you're going in one direction, the wrong direction, and you turn around and you go towards Jesus. That's what repentance is. It's not just simply confessing, oh, I know I shouldn't be doing this, and then you keep doing it. No, it's, it's actually turning away from something that you know is wrong and turning, receiving God's empowerment, and then going towards Jesus. And in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, wrapping up the chapter, it says this. It's talking about repentance, turning away from things. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So these are some of the things that we can turn away from. We want our lives to reflect God's goodness, His mercy, and His grace. And as we experience forgiveness, we can then extend that to other people. Think about this. Does, this, does verse 32, does that describe where you're at this morning as you think about how you relate to people? First of all, how you relate to those in the body of Christ is we're all, we're all different. We're wired differently. We have different gifts. And yes, we're part of the same community and we need each other as we looked at last week. Are you kind? Are you tender-hearted? Are you forgiving? And then think beyond the church, but think, think in terms of your family, your workplace, your friends, your neighborhood. Man, the neighborhood's a tough one. I was talking to a neighbor the other day, and so like, hey, how's, you know, how are things going? What's new? And things are going pretty well. And then he kind of proceeded to tell me, we're kind of out in the front yard doing yard work. He kind of pointed at different homes in the neighborhood and kind of told me all the different issues he had. Well, with this neighbor, this is what, this is the problem I have with them. And this is what's going on with this one. And this guy came over and said this to me yesterday. And I was just like, wow, that, that's a tough life to live. As followers of Jesus, we can extend forgiveness even beyond the family of God. We can extend it to people in our neighborhoods. I think one of the exciting things is we, uh, Janice mentioned this, the small group at Pastor Brian's starting up on the 29th. That's a small group in a home, in a neighborhood. And that's going to be a phenomenal opportunity for Pastor Brian or others that are kind of around there to invite people from their neighborhood to that group. And you may have an opportunity to lead at some point a group in your home, in your neighborhood. And what that really can do is pretty impactful if you want to give it a chance. You can actually become more aware, more spiritually aware of the state of your family's life with respect to where you live. As you're trying to turn away from sin, be empowered by the Spirit, and express forgiveness and be kind and tender-hearted towards people, you can be in tune with where they're at. I think something that's really helpful is just simply look around where you live, pick a few homes, and just start to pray for those homes. It doesn't have to be your entire neighborhood, but pick a few. Pick the six closest houses to your house and start to pray for them. And now you don't have to feel all this pressure of, oh, I've got to be the best evangelist and evangelize all these people. Just pray for them and then just wait and watch. And then God's going to start to move. He's going to start to have some divine appointments or things are going to happen or somebody's going to send you a text message. But as you get in tune with what's happening in that sphere, whether it's your neighborhood or your workplace, pray, wait, and watch. God's going to bring opportunities for you to live this out.
So I'm praying for my, my friend, my neighbor, that this can become a reality for him rather than these are the issues that I have with this neighbor and that neighbor. It's look at all these opportunities I have to be kind and tender-hearted towards people and forgiving people. I'd like to invite the worship team forward as we close uh, this morning's message. And I'd like you to think about this. Just being kind of completely honest with where you're at in your walk with Jesus this morning. Whether it's been a really tough week, you didn't even pick up your Bible this week at all until you got here, or whether this was the best week of, of quiet time you had with Jesus to date. Wherever you're at, I want you to think about how you feel about your identity in Christ if you're a follower of Jesus. Do you feel like you're just constantly trying to muster up this power of self-help to change your life? Or do you feel like you're in tune with the work of the Spirit working in your life? Do you feel like the Spirit is actually empowering you to walk in your new nature, to take off your old nature and put on your new nature? If you feel like it's just, it feels like hard self-help type work, I invite you to, to go back to the prayer room now or following the service and just pray with somebody on the prayer team. And just ask God to give you a greater revelation of who you are in Him. It's done. The work has been done. Jesus paid the price on the cross. If you're a follower of Jesus, He's saved you. He's made you a new person. And now He's going to empower you to walk out that new nature. I invite you to pray with someone about that. For some of us, we just, we just flat out need a renewing of our thoughts and attitudes. We've been following Jesus for a long time. But we need a renewal of our thoughts and attitudes which will result in the power to walk in our new nature. If that's you, I invite you just to pray even silently where you are right now. Just ask Jesus to give you the mind of Christ this week. Pray that every day and see how you, how you did at the end of the week. Jesus wants to do that. He wants us to walk in our identity in Him. Finally, if you're here this morning and you'd like to have this new identity, this new nature. You don't know Jesus Christ. You know about Him, but you don't know Him personally. Maybe you grew up going to church. Maybe at one point you attended church and, you know, and this is your first time back in a while. Wherever you're at, if you would like to begin a personal relationship with Jesus and receive forgiveness of your sins, all your sins, past, present, future, taken care of, and start a new relationship with Jesus today, you'll have an opportunity to do that in a minute, and I also invite you to, to meet with a prayer team member if you'd like to talk about that further. We're truly blessed to have Jesus as our Savior and have this new identity, and I just want to encourage you, tune into the Holy Spirit this week and truly walk, walk in that, walk in your new nature, cultivate your new nature by the power of God. Just join me as we pray. Father, we're so humbled by your generosity towards us, that we're all, apart from you, Jesus, we are inclined towards our sinful nature. Our hearts are not right apart from you. And God, in your great generosity, your great compassion, your great mercy towards us and all of humankind, you sent your son Jesus to come to earth, take humanity onto his nature, live a sinless life, and go to the cross, pay our penalty so that we can have life with you eternal. We're so grateful and so thankful for that. And God, I pray this morning that you would help us to truly walk out this new nature. It's not simply us mustering up the strength to do it, God. It's us 
tuning in to who you are and who you say that we are in you, and then receiving your empowerment to walk in that nature. So God, thank you. Thank you that we can do that. Thank you that you want to change us. No matter how long we've been a follower of you, God, you want to do a new work in us today. And you want it to impact our life moving forward. So we pray that it would. We pray that as we walk in our nature, it would impact our lives, our family, our friends, our workplace, our neighborhood. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for our identity in you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd like to put your faith in Jesus for the first time and have a fresh start and have all your sins forgiven and have a relationship with God now and forever, I just invite you to look up at me, raise your hand, and there'll be an opportunity to pray with someone following the service. For the rest of us, let's, let's leave this morning walking in the joy and in the peace and in the power of our relationship with Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.